right. Good morning, church. Hi. Good morning. Everybody's excited and happy to be in the house. That's good. You know, some of you guys, you, your team lost yesterday, okay? Some of you guys, your team won, but it's all right. We're with you, amen? That's what we're here for, you know, through the ups and downs. God will be with you. Uh, no, but we're happy to be here. I'm happy to, to be here in the house. Uh, I think God is up to something special. Let's give it up for that worship team one more time, you know? Shelly lost her voice last minute there. We're trying to, we're going to keep praying for her. All right. Uh, but anyway, today we're going to continue our sermon series title, All Things New. And as uh, we, we've been diving, we started last week diving into this gospel of Mark, which I told you is my favorite gospels out of the four gospels, simply because he goes straight to the point, straight into the three years of ministry of, of Jesus. And, and, and Mark gives this complete bite-sized portion of stories and, and gives us a, a quick and, and complete access to the truth found in, found in Scripture, which is perfect for our new year because through those examples, we can, very learn, we can learn very quickly what we're being called to implement in this new year. And it, it excites me. Now, you may feel like we're going through some stories that that you've heard in the past, and you may say, well, there's details of that story that we could really dive heavy into. Well, that's why we're going through the book of Mark, okay? I'm, I'm, you, we're spoon-feeding you a little bit, okay? Um, there's other gospels that you could go into and dive into those stories a little bit more in depth, but um, my hope is that by looking at what Jesus did and the beginning of that great successful ministry, we would be able to implement similar things in our lives into this new year so that we could apply the same abilities and have a successful year in this coming year, which we all want. Amen? Told you last week that Christ-likeness is our ultimate goal, but we know that this journey is a lifelong journey. All right? We're going to embark this year on the words of Colossians. Put on your new nature. We're going to put it up on the screen. And be renewed as you learn to know who? Your creator, okay? And become more like him. You know, this year, we will refuse to live under regret. Amen? No regrets. We're not going to get tattoos, but we're going to say it. No regrets. You know what I'm saying. We will refuse to live under regret, on that regret of yesterday, and embark on a hopeful journey as it is set before us, okay? The year just started. It's not over. There could be difficult things to it, but there is a hopeful future ahead, amen? Somebody asked Eleanor Roosevelt one time, how do you accomplish so much with your life? And you know what she said? She said, I never waste time with regret. I never sit there and look at my life and said, I wish I would have done X or I wish things didn't play out the way they did. No, she looked ahead. Proverbs 4.25 says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Okay? I may be a little loud. So you guys may, maybe you should turn me down, I think. Okay? But... That's up to the crowd. If, if they want to hear me, they, they're going to hear me. <laughs> uh, turn me down a little bit. I, I, I'm, you know I'm going to get excited. <clears throat> so now 
we're going to, as a church, I want us to follow this concept. And you're going to hear me repeat myself over and over because I, I believe that we're going to accomplish these things as a church doing the three following things, believing, belonging, and becoming, okay? We're going to be, believe, expressing that through our worship and gathering as we will come together as a body physically and worship God practically, which is what we just did this morning. We're going to belong, okay, expressed through our fellowship and community, knowing that programs don't make people belong. People make people belong, all right? We create a community and we practice just that. We're also going to become, become into what? We're going to practice this through our discipleship, calling, and mission as a church, okay? Going beyond who we are today, ignoring what obstacles we may see in front of us today, and allow God to complete his fulfilling and complete work in our lives and in this church. Amen? Okay, so if you memorize three words for this year, it's going to be believe, belong, and become. Because that's what we will be about as a church. Okay? Last week, we began this talking about the willingness of one man, John the Baptist, a man that cared very little about what he looked like what his current position was in life, all he cared about was his purpose and his calling. Preaching the gospel was that man's only focus and his passion and need brought revival into a community. People were going to places where people usually wouldn't go simply because there was somebody that was passionate and purposeful about what God had called them to do. Not really worried about his appearance, his social status, the things surrounding him. He said, I'm called to do this. So he's in the woods and people are going into the woods to listen to him preach and be baptized by him. If I told you that the service next week is in the middle of the woods, bring your lawn chair, all right? Many of us would say, uh, it's going to be about 18 degrees, Moises, next week. It's going to be pretty cold, so I don't think we could do that. So Mark introduces this gospel to us by telling us that the beginning of the good news starts with the willing person. No matter what their current circumstances was. And yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's my thought. So today we continue the same story. And I, the more I look into this and the more I prepare sermons for this, I just can't seem to get out of the first chapter of Mark. Because there's a lot happening in one chapter. Because he's compressing a lot of events into small sections, okay? Now, I've titled the sermon, Troubled and Loved. And, and you may say, why would you call it Troubled and Loved, Moises? Simply because life is ultimately like a roller coaster ride, okay? A new life in Christ does not guarantee a 24-7 personal satisfaction for ourselves. The bad news is... That in this life, you're going to have ups and downs. Okay? And it's kind of been the theme of what we've been talking about. It, this is not necessarily contingent on your status in life or level of spirituality. And I know this because this pattern, we not only see it in our physical life, but it's also something that happens in our spiritual life. There are days where we feel engaged and ready to go. And there are days where we're not feeling it. There are days where my daily devotional pops out at me and that becomes the theme of my entire day. And there are other days where my daily devotional just feels like this thing I read in the mornings with my coffee. There are highs and lows in this life and it has really nothing to do 
with where we're at personally. I won't necessarily call this, and I already did, but I don't want to call it the bad news of this gospel. It's more of a reality of this life that we live. So if things aren't going well or if things all of a sudden in this new year tend to get a little bit more difficult or go south, it isn't necessarily paired up with the idea or the fact that we did something to cause the down spiral in our lives. You're like, but I like blaming myself. It gives me an easy, like, thing to point at. Don't we love doing that? We're very quick about this happened because of this. We blame shift. Sometimes we blame ourselves. We have to justify, okay? God isn't calling us to defend his gospel. He's calling us to proclaim his gospel, to declare it. We get too caught up defending Christian life. We want to justify everything. Brother, the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because you're maybe doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Defending the Christian life, defending the gospel. We're called to proclaim it. There's a reality of life that we'll have our ups and downs as individuals. You and I are going to go through our personal struggles and nothing can stop that. In fact, you'll see God very much so involved in that entire process completely. Now, after John talks in Mark 1, 7 about the one coming who would be greater than him, our story kind of picks up. And let's look at what happened. Mark chapter 1. Verse 9 to 11, <clears throat> it says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up off out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. What an amazing statement is brought during Jesus' baptism. Okay, when I tell you we could spend a whole sermon, we could spend a whole series probably preaching on what God said to Jesus and the event that took place and, and, and the Trinity and maybe this and maybe that and all these different things happened. Now, Jesus was baptized to accomplish three main purpose, okay? It's to fulfill the righteousness, okay? Meaning that he was being set apart to fulfill a purpose from God. Okay, to identify himself with sinners, not because he was a sinner, but with the act that was being asked of sinners to do and to solidify the call from God to other people, which was to deny yourself completely and give your entire lives fully and solely to God. Okay, but think of think of this just for a second with me. As he is baptized, he hears his father's voice declare his loving approval and affirmation of his identity. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. He hears his father's voice declare his loving approval and his affirmation of his identity. Let's give it up for Erica. She's the real one. Let's go. Her and that baby bump. <laughs> Just kidding. She's going to hate me for that. All right. But if we could just pause there for a moment and understand what, what, what's taking place here, we would realize one of life's greatest truth. And that is, and it's going to get really simple, really fast. What you say to other people and what others say about you matters more than you think. Okay? 
If we are looking at the beginning of a perfect ministry as Jesus is doing so, then, take, then something about these words of affirmation from the Father tend to play a part on the success of this amazing story. All right? Tend to play a part on the success, making it extremely important for us to comprehend that, that others, the, the thing that others say to you and what we say to others matters more than we think. Now, when we look at the words we say to other people and, and, and what they say to us and the affirmation from other people and from us and the Father and all these different things, there are differences to it. One of the main differences that we have when we say words of affirmation towards other people is that those other words of affirmation are usually bound by results, by what that person has done, okay? This is important because some of the biggest failures in life are born from lack of or negative affirmations. Are you with me? We, 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 could, we could pass the mic around here and maybe there's some men in the room that will come up and say, my dad never told me he loved me. You know? And there's words of affirmations that come missing in our lifetime that we grow up and it sets us back quite a bit. Okay? But they're all based on actions and what we're able to accomplish. You know, when people introduce a famous person, they start by rattling off their accomplishments. And now, introducing the reigning, defending, you know. That's a fight term, you know. I, I, that's, I'm familiar with that. I don't know, Josh, you could help me with like a soccer term or something, like what you say. <clears throat> one of the biggest breakdowns in the home today, we would agree, is that when one of the parents is not in the picture, there's an unbalance, okay, that is created on the foundation of that child's affirmation. You follow me? It, there's an unbalance. There isn't a dad around to give those words of affirmation from a father. There isn't a mom around that would give those words of affirmation from a mother's standpoint. It's one of the biggest breakdowns in society today. I've told you before, we have this rule with Bash. If you ask Bash, how many no's do you need? He says one. And I say, how many yeses do you need? And he says two. You know why he needs two yeses? Because this guy messes up all the time. Okay? Okay? So he only needs one no. If mom says no, he doesn't need to go follow up. If dad says no, he doesn't need to follow up. But if, if mom said, if dad said yes, he needs to go make sure that mom says yes too. Okay? Because I see no problem with the chocolate. Hey, I want a chocolate. Get me one too. You know, let's eat together. Okay? But he needs two yeses, okay? Now, a lot of us get tired of the negative affirmation. Do we have some negative people around our lives? It's rough, I know. <laughs> amen, amen. A lot of us, uh, especially men, get tired of the negative affirmations around us or, or, or this concept of people just not really pulling us up and, and we... What we do with our lives is we choose to be alone. We tell ourselves, because I just don't have the right people around me, I'm going to choose to remove myself, and I'm happy in this place by myself where I'm the one that tells me good things and everything is happy here. Sounds pretty crazy, but a lot of us do that without saying it that way. The idea of being alone doesn't make your affirmation or your identity as an individual any better for life, okay? 
we do this because we usually cannot control what others say about us, especially coming out of a holiday season where we watch and spend time with family members that we only spend one time a year, and some of them are pretty opinionated, okay? They're coming in your house looking around, and they want to tell you everything they think about you, okay? A lot of us don't even tell people certain things because if we tell them, we know how they are. You ever been really excited about something and you tell somebody and that person just looks at you and like, yeah, but I don't think that's going to work. It's super frustrating. It happens in marriage. If you haven't experienced it, it's coming, okay? <laughs> Women have this discernment, you know what I'm saying? But that's a message. That's a message for another day, Okay. But lack of trust, of, of, of lack of, of, of this, this concept shouldn't, shouldn't give us this, this idea that isolating ourselves creates a better atmosphere for us personally. Sadly, you need people more than you think. Because God created in us this need for connection. To connect with other people at some kind of level. We all desperately need to feel that somebody can feel the same thing we're feeling and understand what we're thinking. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. It was part of our creative process. One study done by the California Department of Health Mental found that if you're disconnected from other people, you're two to three times more likely to have an earlier death, four times more likely to suffer from emotional burnout, five times more likely to suffer clinical depression, 10 times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. We need human connection for physical, emotional, and spiritual health in our lives. Now, when I say that, I mean the good connections, okay? You say, Moises, I usually feel good when I remove myself from people. The stress happens when I incorporate myself with people, right? But how can you do this and control or eliminate the self-talk that happens even within yourself or the negative talk from others so that you can become more confident in the person that God has called you to be? In the affirmation from the Father, which is really the only one that matters. In the identity that God has given you, which is really the only one that's pleasing to Him. The Bible teaches the principle of replacement. In Proverbs 4, 8, the Bible says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I thought it was one, but he's going to list a few, okay? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is not talking about the people around you and those who have an opinion about you. It's actually talking about you and what you need to think about and what you need to focus on. No matter what's going on around you. No matter what other people are saying. Okay? Think about things that are excellent and worthy. In other words, don't think about all those weaknesses in your life you have. Focus on, what, on who God wants you to be and what God wants you to do with your life, okay? And who God says you are. I mean, we need a daily reminder 
Because our life in Christ is not affirmed by the things that we did. But instead is grounded on who God says we are. Sometimes we don't even believe it. What God says we are is something that is so hard to comprehend. We tell our, it's no way I could be that person one day. But we are, like I said before, we are always so focused on getting to the bottom of the problem that we forget the implications of our words. Let me ask you something. When did proving yourself wrong or proving those around you wrong change the feelings in the room? Yeah, you're laughing because you know, right? I've never, in a marriage, let's talk marriage, right? When have proving your wife wrong ever changed the mood in the room? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, so are you going to make the popcorn? Am I, are we ready to move on from this? No, it doesn't happen that way, does it? It doesn't change the mood in the room, Okay. So, so we, we have to understand and comprehend that the, the implications of our words. Sometimes we spend a lot of times chasing things that we don't need to be chasing. Lifestyles that we don't need to be chasing. Okay? We are all believers in the room. Most of us, the majority of us, I hope a lot of us. And if you're not, I want to give you the opportunity to be one today. But in fact, in this life, the only affirmation that matters is the affirmations of God in, over your life. It's, listen, I get it. It's depressing. If you come up to me after this and said, brother, you laid an egg on that sermon, you know, that's not going to feel good, okay? But at some point, I have to take back and say, God has called me to be this person. There is something about this that's supposed to work in some favor, Okay? And whether I feel disconnected or not, God is on the works to do something he wants to do in my life. But this is the cool thing about making God who he is, right? Because his love and his blessings towards us are not dictated by results. How do we know this? We know this because when Jesus, he, when he calls Jesus, he says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And then we read the following verses. So you're happy with God. Moises, you're great. You're amazing. I love you, buddy. And then verse 12 and 13 comes along where it says, the spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And this is where we lose it as Christians. God, because you just said you love me. In the very following verse, you're my son. I love you. Now go to the wilderness. Okay? Where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. I, I, if you write anything down today, I want you to write these two things down. This sequence of events helps us to understand two main things. Guys, oh, man, record this. Turn on your record buttons, wherever that is, okay? Number one, what happens to our lives is more tied up to purpose than feelings, okay? You may feel awful. It may feel disgusting. It may feel like you're not going anywhere. Feelings, 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 feelings. It has to be tied to a purpose if you're doing what God has called you to do. If you're binding yourself to that will of God, it, there has to be a purpose behind what's happening to you. 
okay? Believing that. It's not your feelings. It's purpose. Number two, good or bad circumstances don't really determine your destiny. What's happening today is not what you'll end up. You should know that because if you look at your past today, you're not where you were. There was a process that took place that got you to a place that you were able to accomplish a certain thing through that journey where you learned something from it. I've been fired before and I learned from that situation. I, I was so ignorant. I was so young. You could tell the, 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 the guy that fired me or that was letting me go, he felt so bad because I offered to stay late to help out with something. He sent me an email, meet me at my office at five. And in my ignorance of being young, I said, oh, I wonder what he wants to talk about. It was the end of the day. In my head, you tell me that today at almost 40, I'll be like, you firing me? At that time, I was like, oh, I wonder what he wants. Okay? An issue happened in the back with the UPS computer. Oh, we got to do some fixing with some things. I'm like, I'll do it. And I'm walking. He's walking next to me. We're going to the back. He's like, you don't really need to go. And I'm like, why is he being all weird, man? I can help real quick. This is what I do. And I'm in the back helping. You know, we fix the issue. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Come on, let's go. Super happy. Ready. What could God have next for me? And the guy sits me in my office and we're going to let you go. Boom. And I'm like, oh, that's why you were acting like that. I get it. A life lesson. Instantly understood. It's funny because I, I always, Rosie and I always talk about that moment because we were engaged to get married and I just lost my job. All right. So I called her and I'm like, she's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the car driving back from university and she's like, are you crying? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know, it's just, you know, it's difficult, babe. What are we going to do now? You know? No, but we make it, she makes fun of me for that. But anyways, um, it's made me better. Um, no, but, but it doesn't really determine your destiny. It doesn't de define you at that moment for the rest of your life or who you're going to be for your eternity, okay? We need to have a higher perspective of our troubles. Too often we short circuit the most important lessons God wants to teach us because we insist on blaming him or blaming ourselves. This will force you to think deeply and trust fully. You know who always thought about himself and what he did? Peter. He was always so focused on what he did and what he can do and what he was capable of doing and what he was never going to do and the things he could accomplish as an individual. You know, we, we see Jesus walking on water, coming towards his disciples, and, and Peter says, hey, if it's really you, I want to walk on water too. Then in Luke chapter 22, who's going to be the greatest of them all, the Bible says in verse 24, that they got caught up arguing about who would be the greatest among them. He tries to rebuke the salvation process of Jesus as Jesus is sitting there talking to his disciples about how he's going to have to die. Literally, the Bible says that Jesus interrupts him. I mean, that Peter interrupts him and says, hey, wait a second. Guys, hold, on, hold that thought. Jesus, come here. Man, me and you could run to the hills and go high in the mountains. You don't have to die. And he gets rebuked. He was come. Then we find him completely overwhelmed by, him, by his sin. 
the self-discovery of his own weaknesses causes him to quit the apostolic team. He's out there fishing again like, I'm no good for nothing out here. Until Jesus himself has to come back and he restored him fully. Because he was always so worried about what am I doing, good or bad? How can I add or remove? What is the benefit that I could bring to the table to this kingdom? When we think deeply and trust God fully, we come outside of ourselves and start to see things a little different. When you do things on the contrary, you would end up confused. I heard a man once say, and this is such a cool analogy, he says, when we plant the seed of assumption in the soil of ignorance, we reap a harvest of confusion. Okay? It's confusion. You know? You want to know in life what's confusing me? Why can't I figure this out? It's because you're not supposed to. Okay? You're assuming, okay, with ignorance, reaping confusion. Okay? Now, with this, I'm not saying to do nothing when things get difficult, okay? I didn't leave my job that day I got fired and sat at home and said, let's see what God has next, okay? No, 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 no. I'm saying we should look at things and and be focused on what could possibly be the goal of God through my life in this process, amen? Listen, it's hard to swallow, but God is looking for broken, humble people, And sadly, those attributes won't come with your life being without challenges, trouble, or suffering. Okay? In John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. It's like a setup. Like, okay, tell me more. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You shouldn't read that. We read that and we say, oh, no, trials and sorrows. It's over. Bad news. This is not the good news of Jesus. This is the bad news of Jesus. But when we understand that our God has overcome the world, that he's given us this revelation so that we have have peace in our lives and everything that we do, we understand that there's a God that is fully in control of our lives and what we can accomplish is limitless under that control even though we experience trials and sorrows. It's a guaranteed, fellas. It's going to happen. There's no getting away from that, okay? You're going to have these highs, and then there's going to be times of lows, okay? Not something that I'm looking forward to. I don't wake up every morning and say, I wonder what trials and sorrows God has for me. It's not meant to cause us any more stress is so that we would have an assurance that he is in control, even in the worst of circumstances. Amen? We see that Jesus, if we read other stories, we see even in the verse below that Jesus was able to survive the 40 days in the wilderness. He was able to combat the the lies of Satan with truth. Okay? He received assistance from heavenly beings. We are guaranteed trouble in this world. Especially when we commit ourselves unshamedly and publicly to the Christ, to be Christ followers and minister this gospel to a world that needs it most. I'm not, I'm not saying that the existence of our troubles are, 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 are here to, to, to create some sort of um, 
of, of, of seeking devotion in our lives where we should say, if, if I'm not experiencing trouble, then I must not be in the will of God. But the existence of our troubles in our lives are only there to eventually prove the fulfillment of God's unavoidable victory over our lives. Okay? We, we as believers, they're, they're, we're being called to look at life forward but understand it backwards. It's an equation that doesn't make sense. You know, we lose our lives to live and live our lives to die. It, it's a concept that's difficult to comprehend and process. But as followers of Christ, we are being called to see forward and live backwards. Okay? To understand that what happened back here was only a process to push us forward. Okay? That we die to our lives to live. And as we live in Christ, we're going to die. It is important to recognize that although life is certainly like a roller coaster ride, there's a creator and a director of our ride that is faithful. That the, although he might bring us through some low points in life and lead us to places where we'll be tempted, he doesn't tempt us, but he would allow those things to take place in our lives. He'll never leave us there. You're not where you want to be, but where, you're not where you used to be, and you're not where you're going to be tomorrow. Amen? This is not a happy feeling sermon I'm teaching you. No, this is the Bible. Okay? He'll always fight for you and with us. And he'll always remain faithful to his name. Okay? You say, I understand that, Moises, but what you don't understand about me is I'm a perfectionist. I want things to be really neat and nice. And I'll tell you, I'm a perfectionist myself. Okay? You can see that by just looking at the things that I do. You get in my car, it's always really clean. You go to my office, it's always really clean. And I'm just like that. I'm weird like that. Okay? But when you start talking like that, you sound like Peter, Moises. Okay? Where I make it more about me and what I like to do and what I think things should be like. Okay? I love Psalms 1996 where it says, even perfection has its limits. But your commands have no limit. We're dealing with the perfect God who when he speaks is perfection. Okay? But we're dealing with imperfect individuals. Our perfection has limits. We're only going to go so far. We should put this on a shirt. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. You know that the only antidote to perfection is grace? God understands you completely. He is fully aware of your humanity. He knows what's, what makes you tick, what your faults are, your fears, your failures, your frustrations, and all those things. He knows you. He doesn't expect you to be Superman. The Bible says he's like a father to you. Psalms 103, 13 to 14 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. If you have any kids in the room, um, do you remember when they started learning how to walk? Right? The process followed. It was like this. They would get up, stumble, fall down, get back up, stumble twice, fall back down stumbled again, and that process will continue to go and continue to go. You know what I didn't do as a father? I didn't say, hey, 
You're stumbling again? Boy, get it together. You're not going to survive in this family like that. You got my last name. Get up. You could do better than that. Come on. You stumbling? Come on, man. Of course not. It sounds silly, doesn't it? And yet we think that's how God treats us. We think that every time we stumble, God says, get up. What are you doing, dummy? You messed up again. Please get up. You're embarrassing me. It got really quiet in here. Here's what we must understand. There is nothing that you will ever do that will make God love you more than what he does right now. Okay? There is nothing that you will ever do that will make God love you less than what he loves you right now. We understand the first statement, but we don't comprehend the second one. We believe that we could outdo God with our wrong. His love is unconditional. It's not based on what we do or we don't do. Okay? How can I prove this to you? By reading Mark chapter 1 verse 11 again. Okay? And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus hadn't done anything. He had no accolades to declare. No accomplishments to brag about. No miracles to share with the Father. He didn't have a praise report to give God of how things were going down here on earth. That's how it even worked. So why did God the Father proclaim his love for his son here and not after his death, let alone after he resurrected? How could his father be pleased with him at this point of his human life? Well, I'll give you the example of children. Have you ever had a child, okay, whether your own, a niece, a nephew, a friend? Because before a child does anything, his or her mere existence fuels your heart with love, okay? I, I can personally tell you that I didn't have the privilege of building the idea of being a dad for nine months, you know? I see Ricky wearing his sweater, dad, you know what I'm saying? Dad life, Ricky, I see you, okay? But, but it, <laughs> I told you I was going to do it. <laughs> but, but in this process, okay, you build up this idea. You build up this process of becoming a dad. I didn't have that with Sebastian for nine months. In fact, I only have five weeks. You guys know all the story. You don't build up this idea. But one thing I know is when I was standing outside of the hospital room door, as I hear my wife in there yelling to this lady, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, okay? And I'm terrified standing next to a grandpa that I just met that I'll probably never see again in my life, okay? And I'm just standing there nervous, walking back and forth, walking back and forth. When I heard Sebastian cry, I loved him. He hadn't hugged me yet. His little hand hadn't grabbed my finger yet. 
We hadn't even had a uh, contact. I didn't know what he looked like. I I just heard the cry, and I was like, "Mm, I love that. You know? I love that. Parents in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. You understand this? All right? This is exactly how the Father looks at all of us when he calls us his children. Okay? Amen? He declares our position as his sons and daughters. He loves us, and he is well pleased with us. Okay? That's not tied up to your behavior. That is just what he does. It's hard to comprehend. There's no way he could be okay with me with the way that I act. He is well pleased and he loves you. It's not because we've done anything for him or earned his love. It's because of what Jesus has already done for us. Okay? He took our sins and our shame, exchanged it for righteousness, and restored the perfect relationship between us and God, our Father. Because before you had to do anything, Jesus had already done. Right? This is not something that we have to accept. It is something that we must believe and live by. Anytime. You put your personal preference or your actions in front of what God may have in store or said about your life as he called you. You are getting in the way of his purpose and his calling for you. There is no bigger obstacle to a life full of Jesus than ourselves. Okay? He told Jesus, Jesus had done no wrong. He said, you're my beloved, other translations say. You're my beloved, and in you I'm well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done a thing. Now, Jesus, go to the wilderness. So your life may be great today. You're still loved by God. You may be having the best year yet. You're still loved by God. You may be going through a disaster personally. You're still loved by God. Nothing you do today or nothing you don't do today will cause God to love you less. Amen? We are our biggest roadblock. And in this year, we must understand that no matter how things go down, there's an up and a down to this life, but there's a God that is still in love with us. Amen? And that's who's looking for our best interest. Bow your heads and pray with me. Thank you, God, for how good you are. Lord, we want to just pause for a second and just thank you. Thank you because you love us. We may not understand always the ways that you're leading us, what you're doing in our lives, but we know, God, that what you're doing is unique, purposeful, full of um, excitement, God. And we just need to comply, Lord, and know that there's a God that is in full control no matter what takes place. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us because we want to please you with our lives. We want to do right by you, Lord. But we know that there was a sinless Jesus that you sent over to the wilderness to be tempted, God. And we, we understand, Lord, that sometimes our lives are going to have rocky uh, scenarios that come along. But, Lord, help us to stay faithful to the idea to know that you are our loving God, that you love us as a father, that you care for us. Whether we stumble or not, you still love us, God. Help us, God, to be better, to be more according to your will in everything that we do in this life, Lord so that we may honor your name and be a benefit to your kingdom in the gospel of Jesus, God. We want to proclaim your name, declare victory, Lord, and spread this light throughout our community and the people around us. 
We want to be the right example, God, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because we have you and because you're a part of our lives, Lord. We love you and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.